0: Ken is a dear brother. I met Ken. Uh, I think it's about a year and a half ago when we had the Communitas training school. He came and taught, and uh, he taught about the resurrection. I was challenged by this guy. He's he's funny. He's anointed, but he's he's really a good teacher of the Bible. And he's going to share uh, tonight on the humanity of Jesus. Again, his wife Laura and their four kids are here. We just love having these guys. These little guys came out on the streets a couple weeks ago and did evangelism with Dad. It was awesome. I hope he tells maybe a little story about it. But let's just pray for Ken and then we'll get ready to receive the word. Father, I just bless and honor this, this father, uh, this man of God. I just thank you for the message that burns in him, that Jesus is truly preeminent in his life. I bless his family. I thank you for these little ones that are being raised up in the way of the Lord. And God, I just ask you to release grace upon this room tonight to receive your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome! So good to be here with
1: you guys. Um, thank you. My wife, my wife is here somewhere. We brought our four kids, two of whom are very small, and uh, so they're outside somewhere. And this is Abel. Abel, can you say hi? Hey, and then this is Elijah right here. Elijah, can you say hi? All right. They're going to tag along as long as they can. They have an impressive time, uh, attention span, but we'll see. We'll see how tonight goes. So, um, how many of you were here last week when Clint Utah, right? on the divinity of Jesus. Raise your hand if you were here last week. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I didn't listen to Clint's message, but I know Clint, and I know the subject of the divinity of Jesus. And I think if what you hear tonight stirs you, challenges you, potentially confuses you, what I want to encourage you to do is go back and listen to, get the notes from, whatever you can, the message last week. Because I'm going to really emphasize and and try to unpack the 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 aspect of Jesus, the human aspect. Uh, uh, side of, of who Jesus is, and uh, this alone, uh, not within the context of the whole of of, of the teaching, I, I think might be problematic for you, um, and so I want to encourage you, if you didn't get that message, to uh, to at least consider the subject, if that's something that confuses you. How many of you want to know God? You want to know God. How many of you do know God, at least to some degree? Excellent. That's great. Tonight, I uh, I'm excited... For you to get, to, for us to get to know God better, and to get to know somebody better, to get to know anybody better, I think two things are really important: one, accurate information, and two, genuine exchange. Two things that are absolutely essential in knowing anybody. How many of you have thought that you knew somebody before, but then at some point realized, "Wow, I, I was wrong." How many of you dated somebody like that at one point in your life? Yeah. See, that's when the hands go up. Uh, I thought that you were a good guy, but clearly that's not the case. And uh, and so what happened was you didn't have accurate information. There was information that you believed to be true that was not true, and then it begs the question, did you really know them? You didn't know them. You were deceived about knowing them. You thought you knew them, but later on you realized, wow, I didn't know you. How many of you have been that person before? Been the creepy, yeah, never mind. No, no hands ever go up for that one. I was, uh, a gal came to my office a few weeks ago, and she told me this story of how um, two guys were pursuing her, and she didn't know what to do about it, and uh, I won't go into the whole, all of the dynamics of it, but this one guy, she'd actually been introduced to on Facebook through a mutual friend, which is kind of one of those scenarios where, like, the the yellow lights are flashing for me, and I'm thinking, I don't know, that just never goes well, and, uh, and... And yet there was this intrigue about this young man who was so methodical and, and calculated in his pursuit of this young woman, and, uh, and it intrigued her, and she just wanted to know so much, and so she was restraining herself. And once a week they were exchanging uh, Facebook messages with questions and answers and new questions and more answers, and on and on the exchange went. And then the last time she came to my office, she said she was heading out of state for a wedding for somebody that this mutual friend was involved in as kind of an excuse to go actually meet each other. And so she was very excited because as much as she – as much information as she'd received through their Facebook dialogue, there hadn't yet been any genuine exchange there was no you know there's there's a limitation to facebook as wonderful as electronic communication can be there's some how many of you know this there's some serious limitations to that form of communication nothing will ever replace human contact human dialogue. <laughs> some of you guys are ready to ready to amen amen that hard because because we 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 need that we crave that and there's always questions about was that seri- was that genuine? Was that accurate? Can I discern really what's going on with this person without that genuine exchange? Another word for that you might exchange, use is intimacy. There needs to be, de- be a degree of intimacy. And so this, this, this evening, normally when I preach, it's this morning. So if I do that, um, pardon me from the beginning. Um, for us to know God, we need these two, th- two things to be in place. We need... Accurate information, and we need genuine exchange. We need to meet him. We need, to talk, we need face-to-face human encounter with God to know God. And we need accurate information about God. Because when we have m- m- uh, wrong information, how many of you have ever know, had, had this moment with God where you realize, Wow, God, I thought I knew you, but I, I, I really, wow, I, I didn't know you. How many of you had those moments? But I mean, if you've been a Christian more than a week and read your Bible during that time, you're going to have those moments where, where man, I thought you were like Santa Claus in the sky. And I just got lots of stuff. You know, a lot of us get duped into stuff, crazy stuff like that. And then, you know, bad stuff happens and God did it. And we're like, Oh, I didn't know you. And some people get really offended about that because God is really committed to our sanctification. So he throws wrenches and stuff a lot. And, uh, and and with great joy, he calls us into knowing him in the midst of that and getting to know how good he is so he can even be better to us than we ever imagined he wanted to be. And so we have these moments where we, where we get reoriented about who is this God. So tonight we're talking about the humanity of Jesus. And it might seem, out of the gate, because we're going to plow through some stuff here the, this evening, it might seem like a lot of information. And it is, but it's really important information, because if you don't, have the right information and you think, you know, God, there's a possibility at least that you don't. And, uh, I want to know God. So I want accurate information. Then we're going to get near the end. We're going to get to, to this, uh, to a genuine exchange. Anybody in for accurate information and genuine exchange tonight. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, I pray again that you would send your Holy spirit to do this. We depend on you. God, to know you, God, we can't know you without your help. And so in full and complete dependence, Father, we, we just come before you and say, help. Oh, help. Help us know you. Help our unbelief. Help our dull minds. God, help our, our dry hearts. God, fill us with passion tonight, God, as we get to know you. God, we want to have genuine encounter. And we want to have it from a foundation of accurate information. We want to know you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So if you don't worship Jesus... You don't worship God. <laughs> I knew I was going to get that from Clint. <laughs> I was written just for you, Clint. If you if you don't worship Jesus, you don't worship God. There's a lot that'll cut through a lot of a lot of junk out there today. Religious blabbering inaccurate junk. I'm choosing my words. That'll cut through so much religious talk and spirituality. I'm not interested in spirituality. I want Jesus. Jesus is God. If you don't worship Jesus, you don't worship God. If, if, that, if, if your immediate response to that is, is, rep, is that you're repulsed, oh, I'm so glad you're here tonight and I hope you change your mind before it's over. I'm, God has set you up here tonight, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. Jesus is God. He is God. If we don't worship Jesus, if, our, if the object of our worship is anything or anyone but Jesus himself, then we worship a false God. Jesus is God. Let's just start with that. Three verses, Colossians two 2.9. Did you guys get notes? Did they get passed around? Yeah. Super. Um, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's, he's the God-man. He's God in bodily form. He's a man. He's the God-man, the man-God. If you read the book of John, you see John making this case that this man is God. And then you go back and you read the book of Luke and you see Luke arguing the case that this God is man. And they're both right. And that just seems to be the emphasis in those two books when they talk about Jesus. He, in, in Jesus, the fullness of the fullness, the whole, the entirety of God dwells in bodily form. Colossians 1 he's the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. So an image is not invisible. An image is visible, therefore it's an image. So there's, we, we have we can perceive God through Christ. Through Christ, we see God because He is the image of the invisible God. He's God manifested as a human. Why? Because of love. Because an imperceivable, unseeable God would be cruel. Agree? Wouldn't it be cruel for a God for for, imagine God in all of his other attributes, characteristics, the the creator of everything, the, the, the sovereign lord over all of life and creation. Imagine if he was imperceivable. That's cruel. I wouldn't like him and I wouldn't follow him. I really wouldn't. I'm being really sincere about that. I would not follow him. I would have no admiration, no respect, no honor of him because he would be cruel. He would have distanced himself from me and and made himself imperceivable. But I love that he's not like that. How many of you love that he's not like that? He's not cruel. He reveals himself not just with words but with a manifestation of himself in human form when that was uh, not his original form. He, he, the Word, the first, uh, chap, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Word became flesh. There was a transition that happened in the incarnation when, when Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin named Mary. A, transaction, a transition occurred where God was now man. Why? Because He's not cruel and He loves and He makes Himself perceivable to people. How Would it be fun to enter a romance where somebody played hard to get constantly even after you were married? And every time there was any, any anticipation of intimacy, they backed off? How many of you would sign up for that? <laughs> Guys are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> not going to happen. Of course it's not going to happen because that's cruel and I don't want to be part of a relationship like that. And God's not like that. God loves intimacy. He, he's the one who coerces us into, into Intimacy into genuine exchange with him where we can know him. Why? Because he loves to be known and he loves to know. And the way that he's done this is, is through the incarnation. He's the image of the invisible God. Look at Hebrews two seventeen. for this reason. He had to be made like his brothers in every way, say every way he was made like his brothers who are his brothers. Those who do the will of God, right? Jesus said that when guys were banging on his door, Jesus, your mother and brothers want to see you. Why? Because they think he's absolutely flown the coop at this point. And, uh, hey, they're here to kind of shut things down a little bit, throw some gold water on the party because people are starting to worship you and you grew up with us and we're not sure how this is all going. And Jesus distances himself from his flesh and blood relatives and says, Those who, do, who are my brothers and who are my mothers? Those who do the will of my father. That's who they are. And so um, he became like his brothers in every way. Every way. So if you want to know what Jesus, his humanity was like, just pinch yourself for a second. That's what it was like. He was a human. What kind of a human? A human like you're a human. Every way. Except the sin part. We'll get to that. Actually, I think you're talking about that next week, right? So I won't even even exhaust that. Come back next week. You're going to hear about his sinlessness. It's an important aspect of who he is. So he was made like us in flesh and blood, flesh and bone in every way. So the best way to understand Jesus is this in the natural sense, in the human sense is as a human like yourself, like every other human. So somebody else that you would study in antiquity, some historical figure, you never would question what was was he uh, of human uh, origin? Was he a human? You wouldn't think that about. Uh, Alexander the Great or any other historical person that you would think of. So in the, in the human sense, when we think about Jesus, we need to think about him as a human. Why? Because God became one in the incarnation. In him, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He was made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to service, in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. We'll cover that a little bit more. Uh, later on so if you're into theology, there's this term we called called the hypostatic union and that Yeah, we got a, we got a theology somebody over here. Somebody said amen to hypostatic union. Wow. I like you guys <laughs> Who was that? Yeah, awesome I've never got an amen from hypostatic union before What does that mean? It means jesus? Uh, has a fully divine and a fully human nature simultaneously Altogether at the same time, fully human, fully God. Everything that Clint talked about last week, about the divinity of Jesus, stands. It's true. And what I'm saying today is in no way a contradiction to that. If there's a contradiction, something's wrong. There's going to be a lot of paradox here. A paradox is, a, is an apparent contradiction. It's when things on the surface seem contradictory. But the difference between a paradox and a contradiction is that one is, is, per, is, 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 is apparent but not actual. It's just that there's a mysterious element to it that maybe we haven't fully grasped. And so I'm not saying that on the surface it doesn't seem like there's some contradiction between what I'm sharing with you tonight and what Clint shared with you last week or any, anything that you've studied from Scripture about the divinity of Jesus. I'm just saying they're not contradictory. Together, somehow the tension of God's divine and human nature coexist because he has a divine and a human nature. So um, four pillars that we need to, to, to kind of hold in tension together to make sure that we understand Jesus accurately – a, he's fully God. He was pre-existent before he became a man in the womb of a, of a woman, a virgin named Mary. He was. He makes that clear over and over again. The Pharisees, whose patriarch and pillar is Abraham and and whom they honor, and uh, other patriarchs. Jesus seems to communicate a superiority to, to them, and they question this thinking, you're just a young man, you're not even 50 years old, and you're talking about Abraham like he's your servant or something, and Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, right, yep, you, that's right, actually, you heard me right, before Abraham was, yeah, I, I actually made Abraham, Jesus made Abraham. Jesus was, was part of the, the creative work of, of the Godhead in the beginning, when chaos and darkness reigned over existence. And so this, this, uh, the second person of the person of the Trinity, Jesus existed, had, had existence, had an essence, had being prior to becoming a man. That's why he became a man. He, there was a transition. It's, it's prof- it's, it blows my mind when I think about it, uh, but he's fully God, fully man. He's one person. He's not two people uh, kind of disguising himself at one point. He's this person at one point. He's that. He's one person, but he has two distinct natures, divine and human, though he is of one essence. So these four things. Really important, if you want to stay in the right tension of understanding Jesus, which is important because if you want to worship God, the true God, you need to worship Jesus. And if you want to worship him, you should know him. Therefore, you need accurate information about him. He is God. He is man. He's one person with two distinct natures. Is that easy to hold on to? That's the hypostatic union. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> we should start like some kind of trendy you know, movement around the hypostatic union or something. I don't know. Uh, that's what happens to preachers when somebody amens that, that phrase. They get all crazy. Um, so Jesus is a man. He, he, he became a man. And Jesus was the ultimate man. He really was. He was the perfect man. Jesus is the ultimate human. There's no better person through which we should try to comprehend what humanity is apart from Jesus. He is the ultimate human. He's the ultimate man. Some how many of you ladies have dreamed of the ultimate man before? Have you ever had even a passing notion of what he might be like? I'm sure it differs for some of you ladies, but you know, it might be it might be the the um the alpha male, you know, he's in the gym 4 hours a day pumping iron. Looks pretty chiseled and ripped and walks around shoulders back. You know, maybe that's the your image of the ultimate man. I don't know. You know, if our culture kind of picture, you know, puts forth the image to some crowds of the ultimate man being kind of the, the corporate mogul, you know, who just knows how to sway his influence and intimidate people and be powerful. Maybe that's, I, I'm hoping not, but maybe that is your image of the ultimate man. I don't know. It might be, might be the guy who's gone through every sensitivity training course there is <laughs> about how to, how, to, how to be in tune with things and relate well i didn 't suggest any of this, and i 'm not saying i 've gone through any of it i 'm just wondering what uh, what your image maybe it's like you know the New York fireman you know fire, fire firefighter i don 't know some celebrity i don 't know there 's all kinds of crazy notions in society about what the ultimate man looks like. Jesus is the ultimate man. Jesus is <laughs> hallelujah amen <laughs> Those are distinctly female amens that I'm hearing right now. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate man. So guys, just to try to, to, try to engage our male audience, um, guys, if, if there's an ambition in your heart, if there's a standard that you want to live up to and model yourself after, you just heard a lot of amens. That's a really good cue. Start there. Jesus is the ultimate man. I think I have you all now. Jesus is the ultimate man. And so a lot of times we try to understand humanity through the broken lens of our own experience as humans or through the broken, shaded, clouded lens of of our observations about other human beings. And that is not the way to understand humanity. The, way, the, 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 the only way to accurately understand what human humanity has the potential or, or was intended to be is through Jesus. He's the ultimate man. We shouldn't try to understand humanity through the broken lens of our experience or the clouded lens of our observation. We should try to understand humanity through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where we understand humanity because he was fully man. He is the ultimate man. He was the perfect man. He wasn't superman. You know, in Superman, Superman, you know, kind of makes a a regular transition between between being superhero and being kind of not superhero. And so he has his human moments in his for the sake of the analogy, his divine moments kind of goes into the phone booth and puts on his cape. And now he's Superman. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus embraced humanity fully when he became a man. He really did. He embraced full humanity. Now. If you're confused by my previous statement, let me just qualify it by saying this that that in the garden, I, you know, in 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 perfect creation, mankind's experience looked a lot more like Jesus than it looks like us. And so, it actually gives us a little bit of a foretaste into the into the the glory of the resurrection. And we'll get into this later, but in Romans 6, it says if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We will taste perfect humanity when we're resurrected. In the way that Jesus is and remains a perfect human now, we'll get, we'll, we'll experience that reality forevermore in His kingdom if we are faithful to the end and follow Him and inherit that kingdom. Isn't that good news? It's such good news because it actually makes it Possible for us. And I, I believe, you know, there's, there's so much that the Holy Spirit offers to us in this life. I'm not just talking about a a, a future hope of glory. I'm talking, you know, there's, there's an aspect by which we walk in new life now. And and we ought to because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in new life now. It's in that same passage in Romans 6 that we, we walk in new life. We, we taste of it there's a deposit of the holy spirit in us that allows us to know god now and yet with a constant anticipation of perfection coming because if you're if you accurately analyze your own human experience even in your most sanctified moments you'll recognize that there's a lot that you don't know about yourself that is still really messed up and that's okay god works with us he loves us he brings us along it's there's there's that that doesn't infuriate god he loves it delights in it in it brings us along and, and calls us into that hope and into the co- continual experience of knowing him. Amen. Amen. Jesus' uh, favorite title in the New Testament is Son of Man. 84 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. He loves that title. What does it mean? It means he was the Son of Man. <laughs> That's right. The Son of Man. Right. I know. This is, we're going deep now. He's the Son of Man. He's a human. He has human lineage. Have you ever actually read through the two genealogies in the New Testament of Jesus? They were incredibly important to their audience when they were written. Why? Because it affirms that He was the human who was promised from Genesis 3 when man had sinned and God had placed a curse on humanity and said, I'll put enmity between you and him but but a, there will be a seed who comes there'll be one who comes from your line a seed what is seed it's sperm i will propagate this this humanity and at one point one seed will come forth and he will crush the head of that satan of that serpent of satan he will come the messiah will be a human And Jews knew it. They were expecting a human savior, one who would deliver them. I'm not sure they fully grasped his divinity in the midst of that, but they knew he was coming, and they certainly didn't grasp his crucifixion and his second coming, but they surely anticipated his first as a human. And so if if they couldn't trace Jesus' lineage back to the line of David, then they would have discarded rightly his claim to have been Messiah, and he just would have been another kook who came along. And there was lots of them. There still is. How many of you know? What was the date, you know, whatever day it was supposed to be a few months back when Jesus would. Co- there's always kooks. There was kooks back then. There, was, there is today. And there's going to be many, many more in the future. <clears throat> but um, so he's the son of man. Um, we're going to look just at some of the aspects of his humanity um, Prior to Jesus' conception, in, in the womb of Mary, he was not a human. Jesus was not preexistently human. That's why he became flesh. He, he embraced humanity. I think it's, it's hard to put right words on this, but somehow in the wisdom and in the foreknowledge of God with which Jesus was intricately a part of, the plan was concocted. And I hate even saying that because that's human terminology to try to put God in, but... Jesus had embraced this plan of him becoming a human long before he had become a human. It was anticipated. I don't know if they had like the last supper together as the Trinity before he became, you know, maybe, maybe it was actually the second last supper that we read. of. I don't know. But there was a plan. He'd embraced it fully. He, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He delighted in the notion of becoming man so that he could accomplish the propitiation of our sins, the wrath-removing sacrifice, so that we could share in eternity. He, he was fully on board with this. He was not surprised in that flash of a moment where he was no longer in heaven at his Father's right hand, sharing an unbroken communion with him and he turned into a two-celled embryo in the womb of a virgin. And that really happened. God went from heaven to becoming... I th- maybe he started with one cell. I don't know. But I think it's two. Because Mary had an egg. Ovary, right? I didn't check over my reproductive terminology before I started here. Maybe I should have done that. Women have ovaries. Is that right? Is that the egg? Is that Okay. I just don't want to look like an idiot. So I'd rather just ask. So... This virgin, I know, and I need her desperately right now to inform me of these things. So, um, doesn't mean you know all the terminology. Uh, I know how it works, but... um, So, this virgin, I do. uh, This virgin has an embryo inside of her that is unfertilized. All of you ladies have the same. You have unfertilized potential for life in your womb Mary had the same thing and look at what Luke uh, well in, 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 in Luke particularly in the account we see that it was by the Holy Spirit that she conceived so this singular cell this embryo in the womb of Mary the Virgin she and the Holy Spirit encountered that cell matched it with another one who was God By the Holy Spirit. And he leaves heaven. And now for an instant, he's a two-celled being in the womb of a virgin. That's our God. That's the one we worship. It had to have happened that way. And see, a lot of you think, well, that's crazy. But it's not crazy because if that didn't happen, he wasn't a man. He was a man. See, we we sometimes buy into it at a surface level. but, But when you actually make him human, human, Then we actually start to get to know him, potentially, anyways. He became a two-celled being in the womb of a virgin. And then a four, quickly. I don't know how fast it happens, but fast. Eight, 16, 32. I used to try to go up as high as I could because I was a nerd. I'm still a nerd, but I just don't do that very often anymore. 1,256, yeah! You know, you just keep going and go. Did you guys ever, anybody ever do this? Any math nerds? Yeah, you... Same guy who said amen to hypostatic union just raised his hand. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Manly man right there. I love it. Um, so, So he's conceived in the womb of a virgin in the same way, listen to this, in the same way that every other human in the existence of mankind has been conceived. Just a different father. John 1, not born by the will of a man. Not born by the will of a man, born by the will of God. The Holy Spirit encounters Mary in her womb physically and conceives in her a child who was the pre existent God of the universe. Talk about like an encounter with God moment. Think of Mary, ladies. Think of it. I mean, we read over at Luke 2 so quickly in the Christmas story. You will, con- you, you, in you, is a child, and if you, want, if you want evidence of the fact that it's really going to happen because you don't even feel it yet, you haven't had a lot of morning sickness, go visit your cousin Elizabeth. She's six months along, too, and you know how old she is. I did that, and that was through her husband, John, and he can't talk right now, so don't ask him about it. But, um, but you go check it out. I'm telling you the truth. That's what the angel's talking to Mary about because, as you can imagine, ladies, that's kind of hard to believe, and beyond hard to believe yourself because even if you do, kind of hard to explain to your mom. You know, mom, you know how sometimes girls get pregnant, come home, tell their moms that they're pregnant and their dads? And usually, well, always, that's because, well, things didn't really go as they were supposed to have gone. You yeah, see, I had this encounter with an angel this morning. And what the angel told me, I mean, could you imagine the absurdity of that con- How do you even process that? I can't process that, and it was 2,000 years ago to somebody I've never met. Imagine if it's you. I know I'm a virgin. Really, I never did anything. I ne- you know, we didn't even hold hands.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're going to conceive a child, and she was it was the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah that behold, the virgin shall conceive. This was spoken of fifteen hundred years ago. I wonder if she knew the prophecy. I mean, talk about a holy spirit moment, right? Mary, she was the first charismatic. Because she said, whatever you say, Holy Spirit, I'm in. This is nuts. I, Holy Spirit, you have control. If, if virgins are having babies and that's the anointing going around the room, then glory to God, I'm in. I mean, talk about a charismatic moment. Oh, I, I don't know what you would do. And another impressive character in the story is her fiance, because they're not married yet. And she's ready to go endure the societal scorn of early pregnancy, which in Jewish society was more, far more severe than any of us could ever fathom it being here. In fact, it's rather normalized in our society, but it wasn't normal. It wasn't acceptable. It was. It was. It was an awful shame. It was a life of desti- of, of being destitute ahead of her as a result of this. And so her husband, or her husband to be, Joseph hears this news and it says that he had resolved to quietly divorce her. That's what the scriptures say. Understandable, right? Consider, I mean, cowardly, sure. <laughs> I mean, if he was responsible in a normal situation, not not admirable, but understandable. It was a, a human reaction that is rather predictable, I think. But guess what? He goes to sleep and has an angelic encounter. See, there's a supernatural side to the story that I'm not touching tonight because I'm just touching the human side of the story. And there is a human side to the story. But if you take the supernatural, the, the, the side of the story out of it, there's no story. Because there's angels talking all over the place. There's immaculate conceptions, occur- conception singular, occurring. And uh, all kinds of forewarnings and prophecies about live here, don't live here, this guy's going to kill you, move here. Magi and wise dudes, money, frankincense you know, because you're going to need this because you're going to go live in Egypt for two years and then you're going to come back here and move to Nazareth because we need to fulfill some prophecies about that. There's this divine little chess game going on where the pieces are fitting in perfectly. And you can't eliminate the, the divine side of the story, but the, the physical, the human side of the story is a virgin had a baby in her womb and she was legitimately a virgin. And a man named Joseph has a dream and says, this is from the Holy Spirit. Take her as your wife. He wakes up and it says that he went and did what the angel had told him to do. Joseph was an incredible man of faith. I mean, think of, I mean, you want a manly man. Joseph knows what's up. Scared out of my mind. Wow, I think I believe her that she's a virgin, but that's crazy. And I know I didn't have sex with her, and I know she has a baby inside of her, and so that usually only happens one way, so I think she's been unfaithful. I'm going to quietly divorce her and just kind of give her the best shot she has at life and move on. Goes to sleep, angelic dream. This is from the Holy Spirit. He goes and takes her as his wife, but doesn't sleep with her until after she's given birth to this va- baby. It was not just a virgin conception. It was a virgin birth. And the scriptures make that clear. So after marrying this woman and having a legitimate opportunity to, to have sex with her, he chooses not to. Probably at this point understanding this is from God. And, yeah, I'm not going to mess this one up. I'm not sure he had much of a choice. But... Um, So we have these two characters, Mary and Joseph, in this human story that are phenomenal characters. And they they give birth to Jesus. Mary gives birth to Jesus in the humblest of situations. She gives birth to a man. How many of you ever have witnessed the delivery of a child? How many of you never want to witness (laughs) that? I saw some really grossed out faces. (laughs) Crinkled noses and stuff. I've seen four. They've all been mine. And it's a fascinating moment where a human is born. It's amazing, especially because it's yours. Crinkly and slimy. and it's, it's a mess, but it doesn't matter. That's my son. That's my daughter. You embrace him. It's a, it's a glorious moment. No lack of sympathy, ladies, to all that you endured to lead up to that moment. I, some of my closest friends just had a child last week and they were just talking to me about so, how how amazing it was and God's presence and this and that. And I made the very stupid comment because sometimes that happens to me. Sometimes I happen to that. I do that. I'm not taking responsibility off of myself. I said, wow, it was almost curseless. And I had some staring eyes at me that made it clear that it was not curseless. There's still still some pain involved in that process, but it's beautiful. And Jesus was born to a man and a woman who nurtured him. She she fed him at her breast. She loved this child. She 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 spoke to him, taught him things. Luke two fifty two says that he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God and man. Uh, Luke two verse thirty nine it talks about uh, his his circumcision, his bar mitzvah. He went through the normal processes. That a Jewish boy would have. He was a man. He was a baby. Um, in his physical life on the earth. He experienced all that we do physically. He thirsted. He hungered. He needed to sleep. His friend Lazarus was, had died. And his sister and friends were mourning. And it moved him. And he mourned with them. It says that at one time he stood on the hill and he looked over Jerusalem and his heart broke within him and he longed to, to bring together these lost sheep as a mother hen brings together her chicks. He had compassion. He felt every human emotion. He was angry at people making the house of prayer a den of robbers. And he snapped, righteously snapped. He lost it. I mean, he didn't lose it. He snapped for a minute had full control of himself. He knew what he was doing and he never sinned. He, he suffered. The scriptures say that he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. So his whole life is characterized by suffering. Because he's learning obedience. He's learning submission to the Father through suffering. And guess what? That's really the only way to learn obedience. If you let a human being go without suffering, they will never learn obedience Do you know this to be true? If you enter parenthood and don't grasp that, you will have monsters as children because it's in them. Proverbs says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. It starts to unwind that very tightly wound ball of folly. Suffering is the only way by which we learn obedience. And if it doesn't come rightly from our father and mother, the Lord will ensure that it occurs elsewhere to give us the chance to learn obedience to him. We have to suffer. But then ultimately, he suffers on a cross. And I believe in the next few weeks, you'll spend a a, a whole week, as you should, on the cross of Jesus. Look with me at Luke 12, verse 37. This is an amazing passage. So we know that he was a servant. Um, We know that he suffered. But look at Luke 12. This is amazing. Luke 12, verse 37. This is Jesus teaching in a parable, and he says, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. Did you hear that? Jesus was a servant in his humanity, in his suffering, in the cross. He was a servant, but he's a servant forever. Jesus is a servant forever. Read this parable again. Those who he finds uh, awake when he returns, he will dress himself for service. Jesus will put on a servant's outfit, servant's garb, and he will sit you down at the table and he will serve you. How many of you want to be there? Jesus has never shed his servanthood. Jesus has never discarded that and said, Yeah, I suffered that, now I'm glorified, and you're just going to worship me. We will worship him. But why will we worship him? Because he'll never stop sitting us down and serving us and caring for our needs and tenderly dealing with the things that we need. Why? Because that's what servants do. How many of you love Jesus for that? That's amazing. That's Jesus, the servant, the human servant. He's a human forever. He's a servant forever, and he's a human forever. Look at Luke 24, just a few chapters further down. Start in verse 36. Jesus was a servant. He is a servant forever. He, he became a human, and he's a human forever. If you want accurate information about him so you can know him, you need to know Jesus today as a human. In, he's a, there should have been a lot more amens than the one. If you want to know Jesus today, you need to know him as a human. Today, present tense, now. Jesus has never shed, nor will he ever shed, his humanity. Look with me, you might think, is that right? It's right. Luke 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, walking down the road, Jesus is already resurrected, if you want some context. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They thought they saw a spirit. Jesus clarifies that thought in a moment. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? So I'm guessing that they're thinking, is this Jesus? Why do I think that? Because he says, are doubts rising in your heart? Apparently they were. <laughs> they, they were suspicious. They were checking him out. Gee, no, you died. I know you talked about that whole coming back, but I didn't really get that. You died. I saw it. You were in that tomb. Is this you? This is weird. Is this Jesus? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet? See my what? See my what? Do spirits have hands? Not last I checked. See my hands. Yeah, I don't know either because I, I don't know how to perceive a spirit, but I know how to perceive a man. But we know we'll, we'll see soon. He says, touch me and see. You want physical evidence? It's right here. Touch me. Spirits don't say touch me because spirits aren't flesh. Look what else he says. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. A spirit. You're troubled because you thought you saw a spirit and then you're suspicious that it might actually be me. And it is me, but I'm not a spirit because I have flesh and bones. Touch me, Thomas. Stop your doubting. Put your hand in this hole. The hole's still there. It's still there. There's physical evidence that I'm really... I'm a man. I'm not the man. I I am the man. I mean, he is the man too. But I'm a man. Touch me. Look. I've not shed my humanity in the resurrection. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while still disbelieving for joy, and they were marveling. Now, so... If if any of you doubted my existence and I said, no, I'm not a spirit, put your hand on me. See, spirits don't have this stuff called flesh. And you touched me and thought, wow, that's marvelous. You really are a a man. Uh, You know, it wouldn't be all that astounding except that this man that they're talking to just died three days ago. And now he's here and he still has this stuff. And I believe it, but it's amazing. So I'm not sure I believe it. And I'm really happy, but I don't know if I should really be happy because I don't really... Yeah, get it. And then what does Jesus do? He just wants to seal the deal. So what does he do? He says, I'm hungry. Does anybody have it? Anybody bring some food? That's what we did for the last three and a half years. We did lots of stuff and then we ate lots of food. And I'd really like some food. Spirits don't eat food. They might eat spirit food, whatever that is. I don't know, some fairy dust. But, but, but spirits don't eat food. Jesus wanted food. And I think he's doing this. He asked for food just to, just to really prove it to him. I'm, I'm hungry. This same Jesus that you knew, I'm back. And I fulfilled the will of God. I suffered at the hands of, of the Jews. I died. And the Father has raised me again and given me a resurrected body that is indestructible. It's never going anywhere. Have you anything to eat? He said, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I like mine breaded. He liked his broiled, whatever. Um, He took it and he ate it before them. It points out that he ate it before them. I'm not even sure that he was hungry. I think he just wanted to prove that he was really raised, that he was still a human. And then later on, he ascends where back to heaven. As a man, he goes to heaven and they watch him go up. Same body. Same one that he had just proved to them. For 50 days, he encounters them back and forth, has these meaningful moments with his disciples. 500 witness it. 500 people witness it. Now, there might be some of you here who are skeptical of Christianity and scriptural claims, and I wish I had more time to go into this tonight. I don't. But when 500 people, in addition to these 12, witness such a supernatural event that was prophesied by multiple people, Between 500 and 1,500 years prior to this, and they spoke of things that were supernatural that were fulfilled 500 and 1,500 years later in one man, over 330 of them in Scripture that are fulfilled, many of which he had no ability to control, such as the fact that when he was crucified, they didn't break his bones as was custom because he died so quickly in six hours instead of up to 24, 36 hours that it often took somebody to die on a cross. They didn't break his bones, they speared his side, which fulfilled a prophecy that was written by Isaiah like 800 years before. Like when stuff like that happens and a real man enters the scene of history and fulfills all of these things, I think you can take your skepticism to the bank and you can touch him and you can prod, and you can poke all you want. And I want to encourage the skeptics in the room tonight. If there's some of you that have yet to take the leap, and you've kind of, in your mind, maybe been intrigued by, or maybe even some of you who who really are trying to follow Jesus, but your ability to know Him is so hindered by the fact that you don't see Him as a man, and He's some ethereal spirit God, I want to introduce you tonight to a Jesus who preexisted, was part of creation, but became a man in the womb of a virgin, was born as a baby, was raised in Israel, fulfilled 333 prophecies in his life, in his death, in his suffering. He was dead. He had people who wanted to prove that there was some uh, plan to eliminate his body and, and, and claim that he had raised from the dead. To this day, those skeptics have never produced the body of Jesus. They never will because it's not there. The body of Jesus did sit in a tomb behind a rock for three days, but then some angels were there, and the clothes that he was wearing were still there, but he wasn't there. And he didn't didn't have a spiritual resurrection. He had a physical resurrection. His body was raised from the dead, and he was given new life that is imperishable and indestructible. And guess what? You get to as well if you follow him and endure to the end. That's what we get. That's the promised hope that we have in a kingdom on a restored earth that is physical. It's tangible. If you want to know what it's like, find the best, most untouched, perfect place that you can think of on earth and make it even better, eliminate even all the bad stuff from that. And that is the kingdom of God on the earth. Where God reigns, is supreme. Jesus is seated. We live in the same way that he lives, because he lives. He gives us life. And at the resurrection, it says that Jesus, will, that last trumpet will sound and Jesus will speak. And the dead will be raised. The seas will give up their dead. The graves will open. And dead people will come up. And the prophecy of Ezekiel in 33, where bones come together out of this valley of dust. And the joints come back together. Cremated bones will come back together. Every particle of bone. Bone and flesh that was, will be And it will never die Because it will be raised perfectly It's physical It's human Why? Because he's physical He's human He's our God I worship that man I worship that man Why? Because he is God I have no doubt Not just because I have faith My faith is a product of the facts. There's no body. There's 500 witnesses. There was all kinds of skeptics and people who wanted to prove it wrong never did. 12 men who followed him, 11 of them, 10 of them gave up their life cruelly. They suffered martyrdom as as a witness because they said, "I, I can't deny it. He really did rise from the dead. I talked to him. I put my fingers in the holes of his hands and he ate fish in front of broiled fish. He did it just so that I'd know that he was still a human. And he lives forever. And you can take my life, but because of everything that he said and everything that he was, I have no doubt that all two inherit that, so you can't even take my life from me. Have it. I don't care. That's the spirit of martyrdom that just rises up when we have faith in the words of Jesus because you can take my body, but I'd rather surrender myself to the one who will give me eternal life than compromise to you and have body and soul destroyed in hell. As Jesus said, I'm up for this whole eternal life bit. I'm excited about it. Jesus, we don't have time for all of this down to theological implications. He has, he's the sufficient sacrifice everything that God required for sin to be forgiven. Jesus provides in Himself as a human sacrifice. All of the Old Testament sacrificial system is put in place for one reason, to point to the One who would come and really fulfill the sacrificial requirement of God. That the wrath of God would be poured out on the Son of God. And that when He cried out on that cross, quoting Psalm 22, My God, why have You forsaken Me? He He was... Accurate. God had forsaken him. God had turned on him. And for a moment, I, this tremor within the Trinity that is in pers- it, it, tough for me to grasp. This, the demand of righteousness is met and followed up by the resurrection. It doesn't remain in that state forever. But Jesus fully satisfies the requirement of righteousness for us. Hebrews says that the blood of calves and bulls And goats cannot remove sin, but blood is required. A a bull can't represent me before God, but a man can represent me me before God because he's a man and I'm a man. And, and, And God approves. God approves. The Father says, yes, this is sufficient. Hebrews 12 says that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cries out from the ground to God, have judge God. Do do justly and kill my brother who killed me. That's what the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. And the blood of Jesus cries out from the mercy seat in the heavenly tabernacle. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. That we have an advocate, first John two verse two says to verse one. We have an advocate who speaks on our behalf to the Father. Jesus the righteous. Jesus the righteous. His sacrifice was sufficient. Secondly, he dignifies humanity. We don't have to become Gnostics and, and buy into this notion that anything material and physical is bad and anything spiritual is good. I think we have to be so cautious about this and, and guard ourselves against this. Spiritualism is on the rise. Christianity, well, Christianity and spiritualism are not the same. We over spiritualize God all the time. Did you hear that? We over, (laughs) you should shake your head a little one. We over spiritualize God all the time. He's a man. I told you, you have to hear this in the context of what Clint talked about last week, the divinity of Christ, because he maintains his divinity in the midst of this. But we over spiritualize him and we over spiritualize a lot of stuff. We don't have to buy into this notion that material stuff is bad. God made a physical world for physical people. God likes f- human flesh. He does. He wouldn't have made it if he didn't like it. And ours is the same as Adam's. It got corrupted by sin, but he's going to fix that in the resurrection. That's what we just talked about. So we'll, we'll maintain it. It'll just be resurrected. He likes it. He didn't need to make a physical world for spiritual beings. He made a physical world for physical beings. We're also spiritual beings, but we shouldn't uh, reduce the our, our humanity as... As something wrong, as something to be cast aside. The same and, and and I think Jesus dignifies humanness by becoming one. I don't have to wonder if if there's something wrong with me as a human. God made me that way and He dignifies that by becoming one Himself. He dignifies humanity. Look at Hebrews 2, verse 6. He says, What is man that you're mindful him of him, the son of man that you care for him? You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. You gave man authority. Flesh and blood man, human man. You gave him authority. You made him a little lower than the angels. That's fine. However you see it best, God. The angels are above me. I'm okay with that. Don't care. You crowned me with glory. and gave me authority over all the, all the rest of creation. That's enough for me. I got my hands full with, with what he's given me dominion over. So he dignifies humanity. Jesus reveals God. If you want to know God, know Jesus. John 14, Philip says, Show us the Father. You keep talking about your Father, your Father this. Father, Father. Show me the Father. And Jesus says, Oh, Philip, you don't get it yet. Look at me. If you've seen me, Philip, if you've seen me, then you've already seen the Father. You want to know who God is? Jesus. If you want to know God... Know Jesus. If you want to see God, see Jesus. If you want to see Jesus, read His words. Really, if you want to know God, read it. It's it's here. It's an amazing gift. It's the revelation of Jesus as a man who entered history in the way that we've discussed to reveal God. So if you want to know God, if you want to see God, get to know Jesus. He reveals Him. He's the exact representation of the father, the exact representation. My, my children here, you could probably learn a lot about me from my kids, even though they're only seven and five years old and three and one outside. Probably very tired at this point. But um, if you wanted to get to know me, you could probably spend a lot of time with my kids and get to know me. But they're not the exact representation of me. They all have unique personalities, and they all have preferences, and this and that, and the other thing, strengths and weaknesses, so, uh, much of which comes from me. But they're not the exact representation of me. But Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if you want to know the Father, know Jesus. And you need to know Him as a man, as the God-man. He sympathizes with us. I love this. Hopefully you've heard the scripture, if you haven't, that He's a high priest who uh, sympathizes with us in our weakness. Why? He's been tempted in every way that we have. Part of what makes Jesus the ultimate human that sets Him above is that He was tempted in every way that we have been, but without sin. See, this is what we think of as humans. We think that humanity means that you buckle under the pressure of sin. And Jesus demonstrates that humanity, actually, perfect humanity, ultimate humanity, is that when the pressure of sin and temptation gets so intense that where we all at some point snap and break and succumb to that temptation, Jesus sweats blood and overcomes as a man. He's the ultimate man. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. See, we, sometimes we think, well, Jesus, you can't sympathize with me in our, my weakness because you never sinned. But Jesus would say, actually, I can sympathize a lot more than with your weakness because when you became too weak and you broke and you, you caved to it, I kept going every time. I know what humanity is like. I embraced it. I am human. I still am. I endured that cross as a man. When they put those nails in his hand, they you know what it felt like? Just the same as it would feel if I put nails in your hand. That's what it felt like. Why? Because he was a man. And it pleased God to crush him so that he could remove our sin. I love God for that. Practical implications for us. If you follow him, then you've endeavored to, to walk as he walks. That's our call walk in his steps. He's a man. He walked in my, our shoes. We walk in his. He sets the bar. If you, if you claim Christ, if you claim the name, then you walk as he walks. You make that your endeavor. First Peter two verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. That you might follow in his steps. Everyone here who's, who claims the name Jesus, who professes that name, that I am a Christian, walk as Jesus walked, as a man. There's some incredible stuff that he did under incredible pressure, and he never buckled. I love this in, in, uh, I'll just reference it here in Mark chapter one, starting in verse 30. There's this sequence of events. First of all, Jesus is at Simon's mother-in-law's house. She has a fever. He heals her. The fever leaves her. It says that evening at sundown, because the news spread of Simon's mother-in-law at sundown, uh, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at his door. So. Jesus already had a long day. He walked from wherever he would walked to where he had gone. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. And he's thinking, or I'm thinking, you know, if that's me, day's over, right? Good job. Woo! Healed Simon's mother-in-law. <laughs> Score. Good day. Time to rest. Kick back. Relax a little. Because I deserve it, right? How many of you think like that? Five o'clock? Six o'clock? I deserve it. Jesus does that. And then the whole town gathers at his door at sundown. 9.30 at night or so. The whole town. And it's just not an average town. It's sick people and demon-possessed people, and they gather around his door. And that's when they got there, at sundown. Look what, he, look what he does. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out demons, and he would blah, blah, blah. He ministers to them into the night, deep into the night. I assume when the whole town is there, it might even be a small town. Who cares? It's a whole town. That's a lot of people at your door at sundown who are full of demons and sicknesses, and he f- fixes them. Look at verse 35. It says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. The man Jesus did this. The man beset by weakness like physical exhaustion, emotional tiredness. For real? The whole town? Demon-possessed and sick people? Beset by the weakness of desiring to buckle under the pressure of, I deserve a break. And he doesn't. And then what does he do very early in the morning while it was still dark? If it's this time of year, you've got to be like 5 o'clock for that at the latest. I don't know what season it was. Maybe it was winter and he got to sleep till 7. I don't know. But while it was still dark, he's up after ministering to these people all night long. I love that about Jesus. As a human, he does this as a man. Guess what we're called to do? Walk in his steps. Do everything without complaining or grumbling. Be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit when whole towns gather at our doors and they need us. When my roommate wants to talk to me and I'm really tired. When my husband or wife has this need or whatever. We walk in his steps. Why? Because we're the representation of him to this world. We love as he loved. If we want to walk in his steps, Romans 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. And in loving one another in this way, we fulfill the law. If you want to fulfill the law, love. You have a debt to love. Why? Because you've been so deeply loved. If you're following in his steps, you have a debt to love because you've been so deeply loved. When he was reviled, 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered... He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one, to him who judges justly. What's your call? Follow in his steps. When you're reviled, don't revile back. When people say nasty things about you, (laughs) Father, I trust you. You're the judge who judges justly. I'm not saying anything. I bless my enemy. Take the other, take my, I'll walk with you the second mile. Why? Oh, because I've been so loved. This is easy. You have no idea how well I've been loved. I'm, I'm his ambassador. I follow him. That's my life calling. To this I've been called. To suffer with him in this way. And it's all joy. It's all joy. We can know him. We can know him. Accurate information. Genuine encounter. It's how you know somebody. I, I want to just ask one question before we close. And that is this. If if tonight, this introduction to the man Jesus, the God-man Jesus, if that inter- if this introduction to you tonight has spurred you to say, you know what, I'm, I want to follow him. I want to be one of his. I see that sacrifice on that cross before God, and I believe that he is truly what this book, this scripture says he is. And I want to follow him. I'm, I'm going to make an invitation to you to act, to, to to declare in this group and this is a great group cuz they're on they're on your team if if you're ready to sign up for that. But I just want to give an invitation for you. Really, you know, sometimes we close our eyes and bow our heads, but man Jesus said if you're ashamed of me before uh before others, then I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. So I just don't want to set you up for that. But he said he said if you're not ashamed of me, then I'm I'm going to brag about you before my father in heaven. I'm going to talk so highly of you. So now is a great time to just shed that whole "fear of man" bit thing. And 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 if if you're ready, if you're just in your heart, you just man, this Jesus, he's too good to not follow. I just I'm going to give you an invitation to just stand up and say, "I'm with him. I'm with the God Man. I'm going to follow him. I believe his words. They're truth. That's that man. He's God." I'll worship him. If you want to make that decision tonight to follow him, I just want to give an invitation for you. Everybody's looking around. And we're all so happy about it if you stand. I'm going to, I just want to ask you to stand and say, I want to know that man. I want to follow him. He's God. I'll give you a minute. Well, not a long time. I've already talked to you, Mom. Is there anybody? If, if you don't know him, do it. Know him. Anybody? Really, yeah. yeah. Hallelujah. What's what's your name, My name Claire. Claire? Claire, I'm so glad yeah. to just be part of introducing you to, to Jesus tonight. He's God. I'm so proud of you. That's. I want you to like get to know lots of people around here who know him because they're going to help you know him, Claire. Claire, right? A short memory. Um. Father, I thank you for this young woman, God that you love so much, who you came to reveal God to, Jesus, I pray for her God, that she would she would know you God, that she would authentically encounter you tonight, and she would know you. I thank you, God, that she 'll be fully known. Father, I pray that you 'd secure her in your love forever, God that she would endure. And press on and follow you, walk in your steps, and worship you, Jesus, as God, every day of her life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. That's awesome. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Those of you here who know him, but man, tonight you just say, I want to know him better. Let's just pray together. Amen. Let's pray. Can, can we maybe just worship a little bit together? And Clint, I don't know. You guys have a team that ministers to, to people. Let's get to know him. He's God, but he's a man. He reveals God. In the same way that you have the ability to know a man, a human, you can know God through Christ. Father, I ask tonight, God, that you would encounter us, God, that we would have authentic exchange with you, God, that we would intimately know you, God, that by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be uh, we would be those who who love you well in Jesus name. God, help us persevere, God, in the midst of trial and tribulation with great joy, God, because of the hope that we have of sharing a real eternity with a real God. That we can know in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit tonight to help us walk in your steps. God, we can't walk in those steps without the Holy Spirit empowering us. So fill us again tonight. Fill us with your spirit. If you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, just because you, you say, wow, I want to follow him. I just want to encourage you to, to receive prayer from somebody tonight, whether it's the ministry team or whether it's somebody beside you that no, you know is full of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to ask tonight, man, I, I, I need, I need the Holy Spirit again. I need to be filled again. I've been leaking and, uh, I need to get filled up again to overflowing so that I can joyfully walk in those steps and know this man, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
0: As we get ready to worship, let's just be in a posture of prayer. And uh, after this, we'll break up into small groups and pray for each other. So.
1: To follow Jesus, no
0: turning back, no turning back. Holy Spirit, come and help us tonight.
1: Though none go with me.